Hey, hey, the mic's on. You know that. It's working well this time. Everyone here is so close yet so far away. And so are you if you're online. We want to see your face. I promise you, we, we only bite on the fifth Sunday singing. So that's about it. And that, that's usually when we break out the snakes and all that crazy stuff too. So just make sure that you, you have and make plans to be with us. We're so thankful you're here as we're continuing our series called The Wonderful Cross. It's our Easter series. And what we've been talking through all throughout this series is literally this. We all are about to celebrate the resurrection. Who could be happy for the resurrection, right? If we can't be happy for that, then we're missing out, right? So we love the resurrection, but to get to the resurrection, we've got to go through the cross. And we just had some awesome worship talking about those seasons of cross where sometimes it seems that all is bleak. We were joking a little bit earlier, uh, you know, really, I just Jesus juke, so I'm sorry. You know who you are. I'm not going to call you out, but it's okay. We did that. said, man, I had a rough three days, and I was like, Jesus had a rough three days, and the tomb was empty afterwards, right? Like, that's your Jesus juke for the week. I'm sorry. We all have rough weeks. It is what it is. I've had a rough uh, allergy season. Our pollen, boo, boo. We can pray that away. We need more. We need bumblebees, though, to help the pollen. We need it to grow. So we'll go from there. So the wonderful cross, I'm getting a tangent. The wonderful cross, what we're walking through, like I said, is to get to the resurrection, we've got to walk through the cross. So last week we talked about this. We laid the foundation. We either follow the way of the cross, which is the voice of God, or we can follow the way of the world, which is the voice of man. And we saw Peter have this confession, and then in the very next instance, Jesus is calling him Satan. Now, that was probably me uh, as I grew up. Like, my mother, bless her, God rest her soul, was just like, I see Jesus in him. Lord, why is that child the devil? Like, that was it, right? Like, that was it. That's how I know I'm like Peter, because that's where we are. So, today, we're going to be talking about this guy, Peter, again, all right? He's going to be asking a question that really we can all be asking, and it's this. Who then can be saved? So last week we talked about the way of the cross. Jesus said, hey, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. Like, that's what you've got to do. If you want to be a follower of me, you got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. And so many times we can use that as a battering ram. So many times we can use that the wrong way. But in light of that, Peter is about to ask this question because after Jesus says this, this rich young ruler comes up and was like, hey, I followed all the commandments. What, must, what more must I do to be saved or have eternal life? And Jesus said, hey, give away all of your possessions and come follow me. And he walks away sad. And so this is when Peter asked this pivotal question. Jesus, he's even following the commandments. Yes, but he sacrificed the eternal for the temporary because he cared about his riches here instead of what's happening in eternity, right? So if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in Matthew 19. If you want to go ahead and get there, Matthew 19 if you grew up in church, it's a familiar, familiar passage. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have them free for the asking. Shameless plug, say it every week, uh, but it's true. Uh, I love our Vine production team. It's going to make sure it's on the screen wherever you're watching, but you can follow along with us on the Vine Church app as well. Go to thevine.tv slash app, and you can download that. It's going to ask for your phone number. It's going to shoot you a link to our app. And you can take your own notes, email notes to yourself, follow along scripture. You can actually watch the service live as we go through it. So, if you're with me, give me an amen. amen. Who then can be saved? Are you ready? Yes. You ready? Okay. Tell Rose that there was room on the door for Jack. That's all I'm saying. Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? That's what Peter's asking. Jesus, there's room on the door. Never let go. Like, who then can be saved? So there's your funny for today. Matthew 19, the rich young rulers walked away. Verse 25 says this. When the disciples heard this, that's what Jesus had just told the rich young ruler. They were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? See, following Jesus, what it means to pick up our cross is he presses in on those idols we have in our life, and he shows us what they are. He reveals those. That's called sanctification. He molds us in his image, as Romans 8 says. Like, it's sanctification. So what happens is the rich young ruler, the idol he had in his life was his bank account, his wealth. That was the idol. Now, you say, oh, I don't have that. I'm poor. Well, your idol can be a good thing. Your idol can be serving at the soup kitchen. Your idol can show up, be showing up at church every Sunday. Your idol could be reading your Bible every day as a checklist item instead of leaning into the Word of God. An idol in your life is anything you place above God. Now, we have some folks that have grown up in church here. Maybe you haven't. You're kicking the tires of who Jesus is. We are thankful you are here. What an idol literally is, is anything we worship or anything we place value on above God in our life. So in a nutshell, an idol is literally that. So here we go. If we think about an idol... 
Maybe you say, I don't have no idols in my life. Well, you'd be in heaven if you didn't. I'm going to be real with you because the Lord's working on us. If you want to know what your idol is, what's the thing in your life that brings ultimate joy and satisfaction that if taken away from you, you would want to die? You would literally want to kill yourself. What's the one thing here in the temporary? That's a hard question. That's a real hard question. Parents, if you've got kids, that's what, that's, if that's taken away from you, you don't want to live. Let's be real. Like, Jesus is going to be walking through that today. Like, literally, that's a, you can hear a pin drop because that's it. So we have to remember, parents, the hardest thing you're going to do, uh, I know from my 17 children uh, and whatnot, really, I don't have any, and that's why the world's still spinning, praise God. But um, parents, the hardest thing you do is actually watching your kids grow up real quick because you know their blessings to steward. You only get them for a season. They don't stay a little long, like, they're only a little so long. Before long, they're driving their first car. Before long, they're, they're, they're throwing that cap and gown, and you remember them throwing that cap and gown in kindergarten, and now all of a sudden, they're doing it in high school or in college. Like, but Jesus is even saying, hey, if your life is revolving around your children, and, I, and he, not Tyler, but Jesus, is not the center of your life, you cannot steward those children well. And to be quite honest with you, you can't lead them to follow Jesus. So that is the hard thing that we have to deal with when it comes to idols. And that's what Jesus presses into. And many right now don't like that because you say, following Jesus is difficult. I thought you said it's easy. Well, let's be real. The free gift of salvation is easy to receive. The hard thing is following him step by step after that. Because in the end, the life that follows you is the life that points to Christ. A one-time decision, yes, you got fire insurance. Congratulations, that's awesome. We want that for you. That's the, that, like, that little clap I gave is nothing. Like, angels will celebrate that decision. But you gotta keep running the race that's marked out for you and the rest of the way, because we have to give an account for that. So where am I going when it comes to all of that? Right now, I will, I, hey, I said last week, the life, the life of a Christian is confession and repentance. So I'll confess something that Jesus got me with this week as I was getting ready. Because I saw a commercial for it, and I'm sorry, you know I don't watch much TV, and it, it just happened to be there. And it was this. When you die, are you going to heaven? I've done that at invitations. I've said that. I've I've been wrong. Here's my confession when it comes to that. Yes, in the end, you'll go to heaven or hell. No question. But here's the thing. If it's whether I go to heaven or hell when I die, that matters. Who cares? Because I want to be where Jesus is. The only reason I want to go to heaven is that's where Jesus is. See, heaven is the benefit of where Jesus is. If Jesus is in Pluto, I want to go to Pluto when I die. I don't care. I want to be where Jesus is. So it doesn't matter. The question isn't when you die, when you go to heaven. The question is, will you go where Jesus is? And that's, that's a confession I have because many times that's the picture we paint, right? We want to talk about all the benefits of heaven and all the rewards of heaven and how every tear will be wiped away, every sickness will be eradicated. And yes, those things are there, but the only reason those things are in heaven is because Jesus is there. So we want to be where Jesus is, not that. So the confession I have is I have, I have done that wrong. And Jesus hit me with that. The Holy Spirit hit me with that. So maybe sometimes when we're presenting the gospel to our friends and family, we're saying, hey, do you want to go to heaven when you die? No. It's, do you want to be where Jesus is? Because you get to do that right now. You don't have to wait. And so wherever you are, that's why the disciples are asking who then can be saved. So but understand who then can be saved The answer is all of us through Jesus Christ. The question is, what did Jesus save us from? And that's the three things we're going to talk about today. What did Jesus save us from? What did Jesus save us from? Because he's about to show us we can't save ourselves. And those who are in Christ Jesus, we know that. We can't save ourselves, but he still came in spite of ourselves. So let's look at verse 26. It says this, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. That's salvation. But with God, all things are possible. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus is coming out the gate saying, hey, if you try to spend your life saving yourself, it's going to be a worthless life. But if you spend your life and give your life to Christ, with God, it's possible to have salvation. So Jesus literally is laying it out here. You could either try to save yourself in this life or die to yourself in this life and go to eternity to have life. 
right? Like you got to, if you're picking up what I'm laying down. So the first thing that Jesus saved us from is sin. Sin. We grew up in church. We know that. We're saved from sin, okay? So what am I, what are we going with with this? Well, see, man, we couldn't do that. We couldn't save ourselves from sin. See, all sin is in a nutshell is sacrificing the eternal for the temporary, Sacrificing the eternal for the temporary. In other words, what my eyes can see, I want pleasure now, I want this now, my joy now, this is the most joy I'm ever going to get, so I'm going to sacrifice the eternal joy and ultimate pleasure in Christ so that I could have a temporary joy and pleasure now. That's all sin is. And and believe it or not, you say, well, I've never sinned. All of us sin. If you don't believe me, have a two-year-old. You can be in the most pivotal conversation in your married life or in your family life, deciding what the next step is, whether you go east or west on the interstate. And what do they say? Can I have a freezy? Like, can I get a bite of ice cream? Can I have a bite of that? Can I have some of that? See, we are ingrained. It is how it is, parents, you know. Uh, and if you've been around me, I'm probably the same way. Can I have a sip of that? Whatever. It is what it is. You know that, that, that's how it is. So we are ingrained in sin. We are born in sin. We are born selfish. It goes all the way back to the garden. So we are born sacrificing the eternal for the temporary. If you've got a little, they sacrifice your eternal sleep for the temporary right now. They keep you up all night. Eight hours, parents laugh at that because that's a pipe dream, right? It just doesn't happen. But cherish it, as Joel said a couple weeks ago, because you're going to miss it one day, because one day they're going to be out of the house, and you're going to miss that waking up in the middle of the night. So Jesus has saved us from the sin, that temporary sacrifice we have. He lived that perfect, sinless life we couldn't live. He did the work for us, so we can't work to earn our salvation. We just simply get to freely receive it, which leads us to do his works. You remember, give me an amen. We're going to keep going. We're diving in. No, it's a lot. I hear people right now. We're good. We're good. I get it. Okay. Verse 27 to 29, here we go. Peter, my man, I told you, sticking his foot in his mouth, that's how I roll. Peter, so all of a sudden, the disciples ask who then can be saved. Jesus says, hey, with you, Peter, with man, nothing is possible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What, will, what then will there be for us? Peter said, hey, what's in it for us, Jesus? We left everything. Like, we know Peter was married. His, his wife may or may not have traveled with him as he was an evangelist. He may have shot in and out. He may have been on the road a lot and then came back home. But, like, he's like, look, we left everything. The only reason we know that is he had a mother-in-law. And, and so he, 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 he talks about his mother-in-law. Go figure, a husband talking about a mother-in-law. But anyway, uh, I digress. So we know that he was married. We know he was married. So he's like, Jesus, like, first off, who then can be saved? So now you're saying... With man, it's not possible, so what in the world can I do, and what's in it for us? Like, if I do follow you, what do I get? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The cost of following Jesus is literally anything in this life you cannot be chained to because at a moment's notice, he can call you away from it to say, follow me. doesn't mean you're a jerk. It doesn't mean that, that you're rude. It just means Jesus is the ultimate treasure, T-R, treasure, in your life when you follow him. You want to be where he is. Like I said, uh, to follow Jesus isn't like I'm just going to heaven one day. It's I'm going to be with Jesus. I want to be where Jesus is. And if he's in heaven, that's where I want to be. And so for us, we have to understand Jesus is saying you get a hundredfold. Now the prosperity gospel preaches you the wrong way. And I'm sorry that you're here. I'm glad you're here. You know how I feel about that. It'll say you get a hundred times this life. Can Jesus give you that? Yes. But what he is talking about is a hundredfold in the life to come, from this glory to glory, a hundredfold. You get a hundredfold in eternity for what you give up today. In other words, your sacrifice this side of eternity will see a hundredfold increase on the other side of eternity. But we don't like waiting, do we? In other words, what Jesus told the disciples, remember he says, hey, the fields are white with harvest, but the laborers are few. And you are going to reap a harvest to which you did not sow, but the saints and prophets before you did. 
And so right now, church, what I love about our sowers here who give of their time, their talent, their treasure, we are planting a harvest that we won't reap. But we will in eternity. A hundredfold. Think about that. A hundredfold. A hundredfold in eternity. Now, I joked around on Thursday night. I'll still be hanging around by the gate because I've got some bad ear jokes to Peter. If you miss it on Thursday, you miss it. But on the back end of that, a hundredfold, a hundredfold. People we haven't even met, a hundredfold. Hey, I don't know, some little church that met in the gym sent this to, I don't know, some church back in, back in I've never heard of even the, Spartans, Spartans, does it have an extra S in there? Spartanburgs like some, some place back there, this church just, and somehow it got its way to me. And that's why I got to be here, because it pointed me to Jesus. A hundredfold. Jesus is saying the cost of following him Once again, this sacrifice, the cost of following him is to sacrifice the 80 years now that is but a breath, dying to self, living for him for the 80 million plus years to come in eternity. We'll be willing to do that. That is the cost. And and the disciples are even saying here, hey man, this is difficult. How's it hard? See, see the salvation part isn't, and that's okay. It's not. Jesus made a way, it's easy. But continuing to follow him it's going to cost you something. In other words, Jesus, we talked about it last week with, drop it, with, with picking up your crosses. In order for me to pick up my cross, I can't carry anything else in my hands. And that's what Jesus is saying is, in this life, you've got to drop some things. You've got to subtract some things to follow him. And that's a hard thing to do, right? Because we don't like that. We don't like that. We like how many friends we have, how many follows we have. Like, we like those things. And he's saying, hey, sometimes you've got to drop that in order to follow me where I'm taking you. So the second thing Jesus saves us from, we're spending most of our time today, is first we're saved from sin. The second thing we're saved from is self. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful Jesus has saved me from myself. That's those times you think about, I have no clue how I got out of there alive. Like those are those moments that you know. And if you haven't been there, uh, let's go have some fun. We'll take a bungee cord jumping or something. You'll know if you got out of there alive. We'll take a parachute drop or something. We'll let you see. There are moments in your life, I can tell you, there are moments in my life where I have no clue without Christ that I would have ever got through it. No way. He saved me from myself. I'm doing something stupid. I'm doing something I would regret, doing something that not only would not bring him glory, but would place me in a position to where it wasn't working out for my good. So Jesus has come to save us from ourselves. So right here, Jesus has come to, to, to save us from self. There are two people this is going to hit real hard right now. And first is the skeptic, agnostic, the atheist person. It's going to hit you hard if you're a skeptic of Jesus because you hear this and you say, why in the world would you follow someone who says following him is going to be hard? It's going to be difficult. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to say to somebody that you've got to give everything up on this side of eternity so that you can experience it fully on the other side? But more on that in a minute. You actually get to experience a lot of it on this side of eternity. We'll open that wound here in a second. Why would you follow that? If you're in that camp, your number one thing, and we've talked about this a lot, but your number one thing is this. You have built your life on this equation. We came from nothing. My life means nothing. Therefore, something was created. So you believe nothing times nothing equals something. And how is that possible? And you say, well, no, 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 I, I don't have that because I'm, 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 I'm atheist. I believe God doesn't exist. I believe religion was only created for the existence of people and for survival. And if that's you right now, I just want to say, if we created God and we created Jesus as an amalgamism, amalgamism excuse me, of, of everything coming together, of different gods and prophets and all of these things, if we brought him here together for our survival, why in the world 2,000 years later are we celebrating an empty tomb? Why haven't we in our brain unwired that? Why hasn't it phased out? So you would say to me, well, maybe I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic, and I just don't have the full knowledge of God. I just don't, I can't fully and definitively say today whether God is real or God isn't. And we just talked about this in Romans 1 the other night. God is plainly revealing himself each and every day to each and every one of us to show that he is real. And so if you are on that spectrum, I would just move and ask you this question, even the skeptic in this moment, because you would be an agnostic if you're uh, skeptic. In this moment, let me ask you this. How many folks have ever been to a funeral? All of us, right? Whether you believe Jesus or not, there are funerals for others. Let me tell you what I'm there... I haven't experienced. I will say I never heard. It doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. I haven't ever seen a family stand up and receive family and friends and say, thank God they finally died. 
I've never seen that. You know what I have seen? It's not fair. I can't believe they died so quickly. I can't believe that cancer ravaged them. I can't believe they lost their mind. Let me tell you what I'm getting at if you're an agnostic. And that's where you are, you're a skeptic. There's an injustice in death inside of you. There's absolutely something wrong in death. There is, it doesn't, death does not feel natural, does it? It doesn't seem, it's like, why would you, and and if you're an atheist and this is where you are, why would you take your first breath just to die? And you know what that is? God revealing himself. Because we weren't created to die. Sin entered in, and see, in the presence of God, sin can't be, so it must be killed. And so for us in this sinful body, in order for, for us to be in the presence of God, our creator, how we were originally created to be, sin must be killed. So either we will die because of our sin, or we will receive the one who has died for us because of our sin. And so that's what we have to understand. So today, wherever you are, if you're a skeptic on Jesus, you're a skeptic on what's happening, on who Jesus is, or what this Easter thing is, and it's just all the way through, I just want to say the injustice of death, the the moral compass you have in injustice in the world and oppression in the world is actually God revealing himself to you to show you who he is. So much so, as Paul says in Romans 1, as we talked about Thursday, none of us have excuse to say that God doesn't exist. What we really are saying is that we would rather follow an idol in our life over God because we hate the God that exists because all we want is comfort if you don't follow Jesus. And that's the truth, and I'll build my life on it, and I'm telling you that's the truth. And that, whew, that's, a, that's the thing that hurts, isn't it? Because if I receive, prosperity gospel says, if I receive Jesus, I get a hundredfold. Man, my dollar's going to be $100 tomorrow. Woo, it's like going to the track, right? No, no. It's a process. It's a season. The other person, the other person, wherever you are right now, wherever you are when it comes to God, maybe, maybe you believe Jesus and that this hits hard when you hear this right now and the Holy Spirit's even convicted me, uh, is a comfortable Christian. Maybe you're a comfortable Christian. You, you read your Bible every day. You pray every day. You do all the right things. You show, up, you show up to church. You do all the right things. See, Jesus got really uncomfortable on that cross because he hung naked on that cross for us, paying the penalty for our sins, in spite of us, by the way, in spite of us, and still goes to a tomb and leaves it empty so that we can have the same power that raised him from the dead and the Holy Spirit inside of us. Jesus didn't die for us to have a comfortable American dream life. He died for us to follow him and point to him in all that we do, which will require us to pick up our cross, which is why Jesus said, hey, no one has left your family or your job or your friends or your fields for my sake for nothing. It is for eternity. And so here's the question you have to ask yourself and figure out if you're a comfortable Christian or not. Would you be willing to go to a place you've never been before with no plan, no financial stability, and you knew no one if Jesus called you there? Would you do it? It's the pin drop moment, right? Because the first promise that we see outside of the garden when God promises his son is going to come is that God calls Abraham to go to a land to which he does not know and a land that he will not possess, but his future generations will to experience God's promise. And that Abraham is counted faithful. That's what we get to have, and that's what we get to be. I'm not the best example of that, I'll tell you in my life. In other words, where Jesus is, is would you have a comfortable salary? Would you have a comfortable place? And would you go and do what I called you to do and what I created you for? Or are you going to stay comfortable and just think giving all that you have is what it's all about? Giving a dollar is what it's all about. Because that's all the rich young ruler had to do. Hey, Lord, I won't give up my wealth. I'll give you half of it, though. Jesus, it's not enough. You've got to be willing to give it all. You've got to be willing to sacrifice the temporary for the eternal. And that's why Jesus came to save us from ourselves, so that we are not in that. So the question really when it comes to you, if you're maybe stuck in this comfort, is maybe Jesus has been calling you to take a next step in something. Maybe it's a book he's calling you to write. Maybe it's a song he's calling you to write. Maybe it's a, a blog. I don't, I don't know. I guess they still do blog. blogs or whatever. Uh, maybe it's something on social media to be positive. I don't know what it is, but if Jesus is calling you to it, I will tell you the best bet you could ever do on your life is follow Jesus and trust him with it. 
even when it doesn't make sense? Would he call you to a city to walk around and pray for people you've never met before of another religion only to on the final day, final day, find someone who is a tribal leader that finally gets to read the gospel of John in their language? I've been there, and I'm telling you, it will blow you away. Say yes. Take him at his word, because his word is faithful and true. And when we're in the storm, we can't see it. When we're in the fire, we can't feel it. But we don't even realize we don't feel the fire till we're on the other side of it and we see that he's been in it with us. So Jesus has come to save you and I from ourselves to know that that's what he's called us to. So we will ask, how will he use us to grow his kingdom and partner in the work that he has done? And so for each and every one of us, when we talk about being saved from self, uh, I, I go back to experiencing God. I don't know if you've ever done that Bible study. It's a great Bible study. We've done it on Thursday nights. The first thing that I would tell you when it comes to that is when it comes to experiencing God, one thing it'll change is your prayer life. You don't ask for God to answer your prayers. You ask God where he is working and how you can partner with him in doing it. But one of the, one of the uh, examples in that is uh, this guy named Jim Elliott, okay? If you grow up in church, you know who I'm talking about. He's a, he's, a, he's a missionary that went to Nicaragua. He went to the jungles of Nicaragua and he was killed in the 50s. So what ends up happening is he knows he's called to go to Nicaragua, and all of a sudden, he's got somebody to go with him. He he was unmarried at the time. He had to take an unmarried man with him. The guy was unmarried said, hey, man, I met this girl. We're getting married, so I can't go with you. So he starts traveling, doing evangelism stuff, and he goes, and, and he's a traveling evangelist, doing tent revivals. He's doing these things, and all of a sudden, he gets someone else. Uh, he, he talks with his family, and his family tries to talk him out of going, and they say, hey, man, you know, you'd be a great youth pastor. Why don't you stay here and do youth ministry? You don't need to go to Nicaragua. You don't need to go there. I, yeah, it's, look how hard it's going to be. You don't know anybody. There's an outpost like 10 miles away from the village. Like, you know, you got to walk everywhere. You, gotta, you can only get there by plane. does the youth ministry thing, he does the evangelism thing, and all of a sudden, he knows he's called to go. He gets a team together, he goes, he starts building relationships. In building relationships, he gets married, has a wife. They get married with his son, uh, get pregnant with his son when he goes, and what ends up happening eventually is they get a missionary outpost, they're building it, they land by plane, they start befriending the people in the village, they actually take them on plane rides, they get excited, like all of a sudden, like they drop gifts down, like they're doing everything they can to try to reach these folks with the gospel. And what ends up happening is Jim shows up, uh, him and the guy who went with him, and I'm sorry, his name escapes me, forgive me, uh, was with him, goes first, and they got met by eight tribal warriors, all four of them killed, on the outskirts of the village that God called them to. You and I would say he died at 28. What a waste. How great. How great could he have been traveling with Billy Graham? How great could he have been as a youth pastor? How great he could have been to raise his son. How great it would have been for him to still be here, but instead he was dumb enough, quote unquote, to go to Nicaragua. But you see, the quote he has, if you've ever done experiencing God, is what always sticks with me. And and it's just, he wrote in his journal this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hear that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim knew he he couldn't keep his life here, and he was willing to die in this life to know that he is going to live eternally with Jesus. And his reward in heaven was a hundredfold because that village got reached. But the difference is he had to die for it to be reached. And you know what? That's what Jesus did for us. He saves us from ourselves. He died for us so that all could be reached, not just the Jews that were in God's promise, but so Jew and Gentile could come to the Lord, so that you and I today could be talking about Jesus, could be talking about the hope that we have. So Jesus has come to save us from ourselves. So if you are in this boat, I will ask you, I will ask you, are you willing to give up what you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose? Because see, if I'm carrying my cross, there's not much I can keep in my hands, is there? That's a hard thing. Like, I know right now this is hard. It's a hard message. I know it's hard for me, but we have to understand this because this is the hope we get to show to the world is that we aren't hanging on to things of this life. So when wars happen, when elections happen, when, 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 when economies crash, when oil price goes up, when all these things happen, whatever, how can I be Jesus to the people who are suffering in it? How can I do that? 
Because everything in this life is going to eventually die. Everything. But only in Christ can we have life and have it to the full now. So I will give up everything in this life because I can't keep it. My great-grandfather said, ain't no U-Haul in heaven. I tell you what, I'll be honest with you. You ever go, 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 to, a, uh, go to a cemetery, they're all the same size holes, all of them. That's all you're going to get on this side. Oh, but on the other side, in Christ, it's a hundredfold. A hundredfold. A hundredfold. And you say, I don't want to wait that long. Well, listen, Jesus is faithful enough. He doesn't make us wait that long. Every time somebody comes and surrenders their life to him, we get to celebrate with the angels. But know that it was the prophets and saints and the shoulders, the concrete and rebar built on Christ, the chief cornerstone for each and every one of us. That is what we are getting to do. Reap the harvest of those who go before us. So we get to plow the field and plant the harvest now for those that are behind us that we won't even see our great-grandchildren we are planting a field for, sowing the seeds of the gospel. That's awesome. That is incredible, right? That is absolutely incredible. So, so here we go. Third thing, that, uh, third thing, we'll get here in a second. Verse 29, the end of verse 29 and uh, verse 30. See the third thing Jesus has saved us from. Verse 29 says, what will happen for, for us if we get this gift of salvation? Well, not only do we see a hundredfold in eternity, but we will inherit eternal life. We don't have to wait for it. We get to have it now. And Jesus says in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So uh, I'm sorry, Ricky Bobby, but it's okay. But like for real, for real, for real. Like, hey, that just means, hey, we're all gonna get to go there. And in God's upside down kingdom, we can see and live eternally now. We don't have to wait to experience heaven on earth. So this eternal life that Jesus talks about, we miss this in translation a lot of times. Uh, I was reading some commentaries, studying for this, just walking through this. And believe it or not, the eternal life that's talked about here is a quality of life. Quality of life. We hear that a lot right now, don't we? The quality of life score, the quality of, of this, the quality of that. A quality life in Christ is one that is peace throughout the storm. The quality of life without Christ is chaos, reckless, just wreck, wreck, wrecks everywhere, just, just, just crazy chaos everywhere. The difference is with Christ, even in the chaos, I can have peace. That's the quality of life I get to have now. I inherit eternal life now, now. So the third thing that Jesus has saved us from is God's wrath. So he saved us from sin because he lived the perfect sinless life we couldn't live. He saved us from ourself by paying the penalty for our sins on the cross. And the reason that he had to die for us on the cross and the penalty of our sin is because of God's wrath towards sins because he can't be in the presence of sin. God can't. He can't be in the presence of sin. And he loves us enough that he sent his son so that he could be, so that we could be in his presence. And so Jesus does for us what we can't do. So <clears throat> what does this have to do with us? I know another gut punch here, but hang in here with me. We think we're the cornerstone of existence, don't we? We think this earth was created for us. We think all of this was for us, period. Once again, ask a two-year-old. That's their world. <laughs> it's their world. It just is what it is. We were all there. Don't get mad. We're not putting down. We were all there. I was a perfect child. No, you weren't. None of us were. I hate to tell you. I know mom said you was, but there were moments that mom just locked the bathroom door. And when you were knocking on it saying, I know you're in there. I know you're in there. You were just really quiet. You had the headphones in. You're watching your, you don't lie. I know. I know when they knock on the door, I know you're in there. Like, don't lie. Little fingers underneath. You know, then you slide them toilet paper just to mess with them. Anyway, whatever, uh, wherever you are, like all of us are in that moment. So Jesus has saved us from God's wrath, God's wrath for our sin that goes all the way back at the garden. So we think we're the cornerstone. So let me ask you this. I, I, will, I, would, I would give my life on the truth of God's word. I'm telling you right now, I will stand on it because I know it's true. And maybe you don't believe the Bible. Maybe you're still in this skeptic talk, even though we talked about this earlier and, and you're in the agonizing. You say, there's no way uh, that, that God is who he says he is. But I will tell you, it is. But when I read the Bible in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, who? In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, uh, Adam and Eve were there chilling in the garden. They had a couple rhinoceroses, some cool giraffes, like Jeffrey Giraffe had his Toys R Us thing going on. Like, they have anything like that, Right? So they had their North Face gear on, you know, they were ready to go. No, no, no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void and formless, and there was darkness over the depth of the water, and God's Spirit hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness night. And that was the first day. Not even on the second day do I see Adam and Eve being created. Not on the third day, not on the fourth day, not on the fifth day, but not until the sixth day is Adam and Eve created. Not until the sixth day does humanity step into the picture. Not until the sixth day. So I hate to say it, you and I aren't the cornerstone of our creation. God is. We are created for his glory to praise him because he is the one who made us. We are made for that. And so many times when we don't believe that we are saved from God's wrath, we believe that not only can we save ourselves, but it's about ourselves. That this is all about us. And I will tell you, when, it, when we stand before Jesus, we stand before Peter with this book, but really when we stand before Jesus at the day of judgment and the question is asked, why should I let you in? If it starts, well, Tyler tithes. Well, Tyler had a decision one day. Well, Tyler read his Bible, he journaled, well, Tyler prayed, I'm going to go straight to hell. It's nothing to do with me. It's the man on the middle cross said I could come in. Man on the middle cross, I've shared this before. The criminal who was on the side of Jesus said, remember me when you go into paradise. And Jesus says, you will be with me today. Now we get caught up in a lot of theology did Peter stand there? Is Peter going to stand there when it comes to his name being written in the book of life and say, hey man, uh, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-tribulation? Like, where are you? How do you feel about the Nicene Creed? How do you feel about that? Which confession do you hold to? The Wesleyan, the Calvin confession? Do you hold the Baptist confession? Like, what, what do you, what? Okay, all right, well, well, hang on. Now, do you believe the Eastern Orthodox Catechism or do you believe the Roman Catholic Catechism? Which one do you believe? Where, where are you standing on that? Because we need to know. So, so let me ask you this, let me ask you. Okay, 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 okay. So did Jesus set the captives free like it says and everybody's like saw all the old saints running around in Jerusalem when he died on the, and he went into the tomb or, or, or not? Like, and he's standing there and, and I don't know about you because I got to be that in the day. Like at that moment in time, you just hear... Manager to the front gate, please. Manager to the front gate. Could someone, uh, there's this guy that was on the cross with Jesus here. Uh, we need a entrance check. He's not on the list, I don't think, but I see his name. It doesn't make sense. So the manager shows up. When the manager shows up, the manager's going to go through all of it. So let me get this straight one more time. One more time, one more time, one more time. Eschatologically speaking, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Where, where's your, where's that? Oh. One more time, one more time, one more time. Why in the, one more time, just, how was his name on the list, Peter? Like, he doesn't know any, like, he didn't even know who Moses is. Like, what the heck is going on? We'll be with you in a second, sir. Like, you know, the manager's there. He's trying to figure things out. And the man just stands there and says, the guy on the middle cross said I could go in. Like I said, that's why I say that all the time. The guy on the middle cross said I get to go in. Jesus said, I'm there. You will be with me. That's why you get to get in. So when we're saved from God's wrath, I know that it's heartbreaking. I know that it's earth shattering, but the world doesn't revolve on you or me, and it was not built for you or me. There is a place he has prepared for us in eternity. His father's house has many rooms. That's what we were prepared to go to. So the things of this life should not matter except to give him glory. So what are we saved from? We're saved from sin. We're saved from ourselves. We're saved from God's wrath now. We don't have to wait to have heaven on earth now. There are going to be moments of it. There's going to be, be, be God winks, if you will. We're not going to always get to fully experience it until the other side of eternity. But the difference is we're going to have peace in it knowing it is to come. That's what we're saved from. No matter what. No matter where we are. So... As we wrap up, I know it's been a long time today. Thank you all for hanging in here with me. One more, one more thing just to, to drive home God's wrath, because this may be where you are. You may be really convicted. right? I got really convicted getting ready this week, okay? You may be really convicted right now. And that's okay. That's okay. That's the Holy Spirit in us. Actually, that's a sign that Jesus is in you. Maybe if you haven't confessed Jesus as Lord, your conviction is you need to come to him today. So how many of us, we've talked about funerals, so we've got, man, we've got a Hollywood script today. How many of us have been to a wedding? Seven funerals, a wedding, six, I don't know. So we've been to a wedding. Let me ask you this. What's the focal point of a wedding? The bride, right? The bride. 
The bride is the focal point. Now, I don't care what you do. It's the bride. It is all about the bride at the wedding. The bride, the bride and her radiance shining beautifully what she looked like. Nobody cares that her eyelashes were too short, that her nails didn't look right. Nobody cares. They just see the beauty. We even stand up when the bride enters the room, don't we? You don't do that for the groom. <laughs> get you and your boys up in line there. Just get on up there. Nobody cares. Come on, come on. Cute ring bearer. Let's go. Cute flower girl. Just throw the pedal. Yep, yep, yep. But when the bride comes, everything shifts focus to her. What would happen if you dressed up like the bride? If you had your little bouquet and your little white dress and you weren't the bride, what do you think is going to happen at that wedding? Don't go Dennis Rodden on me, y'all. I'm, I'm being real for like, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to take you to the back. And you ain't going to be in that crowd. And see, the thing is, many of us right now, we're trying to dress like the bride because we've never fully surrendered to being the bride. And here's the important part of that. This is why we're talking about the wedding. That is why creation exists. That is why we are here. This thing right here, the truth of God's word, is God's love letter to his son, Jesus Christ, about his bride, you and I, the church, to be delivered on his wedding day at the wedding supper of the Lamb, which he is preparing for us. You and I, his church, are the bride. He has given everything for us. Jesus is the groom. That is what this is all about. Jesus died so that we and our radiance shine beautifully and brightly to the world. That is why he came and died, to point to him. And so for us, what we have to understand is you may think, I'm too far gone to be saved. Well, last I checked, weddings still happen. People are still brides, aren't they? You may think, well, well, well there's no way that anybody would want to marry me, and I want to say there's an empty tomb that proves different. There's an empty tomb that says otherwise. And so where you are right now, I just want you to see that maybe you see this sacrifice, and you're like where Peter was, and you're like, hey, we left everything to follow you, Jesus. What's in it for us? And he says, hey, I know what that sacrifice looks like. And I know the way through it. And would you know that he lifts us up as his bride? So today, wherever you are, I just want to say, there is hope. You're going to get through the season. You are his bride, shining radiantly, shining brightly, and it's beautiful as anything. Everyone will always say, a couple of different days that you're beautiful. Your wedding, children, those are the beautiful days, right? Beautiful days. And so today, wherever you are right now, maybe you're in Christ Jesus. I hope you find hope in knowing that he still died for all of us and he died so that we can shine radiantly and beautifully. It doesn't mean that we don't show the world our scars. It just means with our scars, we know that he is using it for his glory and for our good. And for others of us right now, maybe you are that skeptic or that agnostic, you're stuck. You're not quite sure who Jesus is and you're trying to see today like something is beating inside of you. And I wanna tell you what you feel right now is Jesus knocking on the door saying, will you, will you receive me? Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, the cross. The cross is the centerpiece of our life. The cross, the cross. Nothing else, Christ, the person and work of Jesus and him crucified, all we have to do is receive it. Otherwise, we will go like the other criminal who mocked Jesus and try to carry our cross ourselves and die and be in eternal hell, yes. Be in eternal hell, always. Yes, that's terrible. What is hell? It is knowing that we were created to be in the presence of God, yet we refuse to surrender to Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation and follow him where he is. That is hell. And Jesus says there's a better way. See, he calls us to pick up our cross because he's already really carried our cross and he knows the way. So the thing that you can do right now is freely receive him. So with every head bow and every eye closed, we, we say this prayer each and every week for the benefit of those going to the, coming to the faith for the first time. It's not the words of this prayer that saves you, it's the faith that what Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says is true, that Jesus came with the perfect sinless life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve, paying the penalty for our sins on the cross, but loved us enough that he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day so that we could have life. The same power that raised him from the 
dead is in us in the Holy Spirit and allows us to be molded into who we are created to be and have heaven on earth now. So with every head bow and every eye closed, please repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, whether you're in the house or watching online, if you can say for the first time you have freely received this gift of salvation that Jesus came, died, and rose again to give us, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. If you're in the house, you can raise your hand. If you're watching online, you may see a hand that's raised. You may not. If you don't, let us know in the comments. Because here's the thing. Jesus came to set us free to be that beautiful, radiant bride. He did. He died for us. And we want to celebrate this decision with you. See, it's a starting block to the rest of your life, not the finish line. And so wherever you are right now, we want to celebrate that decision with you. And more importantly, we want to get you plugged into a local church, whether you're watching uh, in China, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, or down the road in Greenville, wherever you are, we want to get you into a local church body because Jesus created you to be a part of his body the bride. And for the rest of us, we're going to stand and sing. Thank y'all for hanging in here, knowing and celebrating. And as we sing, we're going to celebrate the things that Jesus has saved us from. He saved us from sin. He saved us from ourself. Thank God. Uh, and he saved us from God's wrath so that we could be in his presence. So would you please stand and sing?
are so thankful that you have been here. If we can't celebrate the empty tomb, I don't know what we're even doing. Like we said all the way through, we know that Jesus is in this house each and every week. And he's inviting, we and him are inviting you to come join us next Sunday for Palm Sunday. And as we go out through this week, know that you were his beautiful bride. Yes, stand there and be excited about it. I don't know why you don't. If you, if, I come, if you see me in a white dress, call the cops. I need to be. But in the end, we are radiant, shining brightly, his light to the world, showing his mercy to the world. And I tell you what, when he sees you walking down that aisle, I've never seen a groom that was like, oh, my God, what is he doing? He's excited. He is thankful with every step you take toward him. He cannot contain his pleasure and his excitement for you coming to him and being where he is. So we want to invite you to be with us next week. And when we see you this week, we're going to bring our smiling faces too. Have an awesome week. And always remember, the best is still yet to come.